This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Stream loungers, welcome. It is May 7th, a Sunday evening, and the first uh, Sunday of May. It's an anniversary uh, for you out there uh, that follow us on the PTV Wrestling Network. I'm Scott Criscolo, of course, joined by my co-host, the D-Man, Greg Diener. Greg, how are you? Oh, yes. Not to be confused with uh, an never alter ego of mine, the G-Man. So. <laughs> yes. G and D. Greg, of course, and I have been uh, documenting here on Stream Lounge uh, the one of arguably one of the greatest feuds in the history of professional wrestling, and that is the feud between the Nature Boy Ric Flair and the Dragon Ricky Steamboat. Now, of course, that feud goes back to the late '70s, back in very early Mid Atlantic, and went into the mid '80s. Then they took a breather because, of course, Ricky went to the uh, WWF. Won the Intercontinental title, greatest match of all time. Um, then left in 88 uh, and came back in January of 1989 to what was what was at this point still the NWA, but kind of WCW. They didn't really totally brand WCW until probably 1990. And they had... Arguably, the greatest trilogy of matches probably of all time. Uh, February of 1989, Chi-Town Rumble, when Steamboat defeated Ric Flair to be World's Heavyweight Champion. Then, match number two, Clash of the Champions 6 on April 2nd at uh, the Superdome, very sparse Superdome in New Orleans, where they wrestled the two out of three falls match, which Steamboat won controversially, two, met two falls to one. And that brings us to tonight. Greg and I on the... 34th, 34th anniversary, Greg, of this show. Crazy that it was 30, that's 34 years old. Um, Time flies, doesn't it? Right. I was, well, let's see, it was before my birthday. So I was 15 when this show happened. Um, May 7th, 1989, from the old arena in Nashville, Tennessee. This is tonight's Stream Lounge Spectacular, Wrestle War 1989. 
And I think it's one of those shows that everyone remembers at least the main event, but maybe not everything else. Uh, not counting what happens after the main event, which we will document very much uh, tonight. Um, but uh, there was a pretty good undercard. Uh, there were a couple of uh, unspectacular matches. There was a couple of comedy greatness and uh, some other fun. So the official title of the show was Music City Showdown. And again, May 7th at the Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. Funny that, uh, we will fire the show up, but funny that the VHS box, Greg, had Sting as the main guy, the big, the biggest picture. And then there were three insets of uh, Steamboat, Luger, and the Road Warriors. The weirdest, the weirdest thing ever. Like, what about the guy that was facing Ricky Steamboat? What? So, in any event, why don't we fire it up? Let us go to what I affectionately call the cock um, and fire it up. This, this is a slightly shorter show than a normal pay-per-view. It'll be a little less than two and a half hours, so not too bad. All right. Is everybody ready? Here we go. In three, two, one. Here we go. And we get the awesome, obligatory, <laughs> lazy, garbagey <laughs> open with oh. bad graphics and bad music. I feel like I'm watching a promo for an ABC sitcom in 1989. I know. Where's Ernie Anderson when I need him for the voiceover? I know. So here we are. Nothing beats nothing, nothing. Nothing reeks WCW like a banjo in the uh, gra- in the in the graphic. Oh my word! So Jr. and Bob Cottle are doing the announcing for this show. Um, of course, no Tony because at this point Tony was in uh, head left because he was not happy that it felt like Jr. usurped him as the main uh, voice of Crockett slash WCW. So he left, of course, and went to the WWF. And then later that summer at SummerSlam, we would get the hilarious, you could shoot somebody, Shivani, from uh, the Meadowlands during uh, the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we ask that you please stand as the this is what we Oak Ridge all, Boys. This is what we all came here to see besides Flair. Exactly. <laughs> the Oak Ridge Boys. Um, got hair. Oh my word. Some sexy hair going on there. Cool horseman shirt, even though they're technically not around. <laughs> yeah. Might have bought it on clearance at the uh, t-shirt rack for five I know. I always enjoy seeing the uh, the, the colors, of course. What's that one? The glory days. Oh. I always like getting a look at late 80s southern t-shirts. It's like... It's like counting all of the mid-90s 
sports jerseys and jackets uh, on Raw. A lot of Charlotte Hornets, the... Buffalo Bills. Oh, yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Plenty Cowboys. of No Fear t-shirts, I bet. See if there were dark matches. Taking a look, uh, there actually wasn't. There actually wasn't. We were right out of the gate with uh, with the show. So, but yeah, for those that don't know, um, Tony Schiavone is not here. Uh, sorry, Jennifer Smith. Uh, but uh, Tony uh, left uh, Jim Crockett in late '88, early '89, uh, because he felt like he was being usurped as the uh, main voice of uh, WCW, and of course went to the WWF. Was there for a year and a half, I guess, close to two years, and would go back to uh, what would then officially be WCW in uh, 1991. So it's Jr. and Bob Caudle. Oh my word! What an opening match here! Oh, Butch Reed against Ranger. That's, that's rough. Oh my god! Wow. Maybe I was. Maybe I was. Oh my God! Maybe I was understating. Maybe I was maybe overstating this. Uh, I think I was overstating this undercard. Oh, here we go. Could you see uh, Laurinaitis get his ass kicked by uh, Rikishi? That'll be nice. Oh, Luger against Michael Hayes. That that should be decent. Oof. Oh. Oh my God. Woo. So maybe, Greg Diener, this is a one-match show. Oh, <laughs> this is the definition of one-match show. Pretty much. I, I was trying to pump up this. Uh, well, no, this match might be pretty good. Yeah. This match is pretty good because you got two. You got two. You got the Road Warriors against a couple of two-dollar stakes that won't put up with their crap. So, well, that might not be too bad. All right, got a couple of decent. Eh, not too bad. A couple of decent matches. Nothing too bad. I like that the only picture they could get of Kevin Sullivan is him wearing a jacket and a red tie hat. I know. Introducing in the corner to my right, hailing from Lexington, Tennessee. He weighs 245 pounds, Doug Gilbert. So, as everyone knows, and this is where, see, th- these were the little things, Greg, that showed why uh, WCW was always number two. If you knew that the Junkyard Dog was not going to be there, and he could, didn't make the show, as you could see, Doug Gilbert's about to get his throat kicked in by, by the man, um, why would you not fix the graphic? Or just say the Great Muda will be in action, skip it, and then do the rest of the card. Why would you put the Great Muda and the Junkyard Dog in there if you knew he wasn't going to be there? I'm guessing, Turner was too, I'm guessing the Turner people were too cheap to edit that out. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is just this is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Anyway, we get another look at um, now, now can say – uh, WWE Hall of Famer, the great Muda, who I absolutely love. Um, and I'm looking forward, uh, Greg, to when Stream Lounge will be able, will continue to add future wrestling streams because I would love for them to try to get Impact Plus and uh, 
um, New Japan World because the more Muda we can talk about, the happier I'd be. So, oh, New Japan World would be great for this service. It would be great. Um, Muda, of course, is a stud. Um, he wrestled at he who did he beat the crap out of at uh, at at uh, Clash Six. Uh, let's see who did he because we saw him at Clash Six. Let me take a look. Big shot. Doug Gilbert's getting the crap beat out of him. Uh, let's see. Muda. Oh yeah, Stephen Casey. That's right. He was totally beating up a stiff. Uh, Doug. He got a minor upgrade here to Doug Gilbert. Um, that was a terrible crossbody. I could have done a better crossbody. Yeah. So of course Muda managed by Gary Hart. And we see some, uh, obviously, there'll be some big consolidating of uh, heels and faces uh, coming out of the show, which we'll talk about uh, at the end. Um, No, there is obviously now no uh, uh, conflicts on this night. Uh, WWF had nothing going on, of course. Uh, Their next pay-per-view would not be, as I mentioned, till late August, uh, which would be SummerSlam at the Meadowlands. Um... Uh, so no, no conflict on this night because the cable companies were starting to get aggravated. Um, they kind of dropped the, the edict on, on WWF and W and NWA after the WrestleMania five. Well, I mean, they couldn't really do it to, in that last instance, because technically clash six was not, um, pay. So. So, uh, uh, but I think it was probably Survivor Series slash Starcade 88 when the cable companies pretty much got fed up and said, uh, cut the crap or we're not carrying either of you. We can, we can live without your pay-per-views because at the time boxing was hot. You know, we had, uh, my, you know, we had Tyson, we had Sugar Ray Leonard, Hagler, they could make plenty of money on boxing pay-per-views. They didn't need pro wrestling's, you know, three shows a year or whatever. So, so that was it. You didn't see it again. But that didn't mean they weren't going to try. And, and of course, you know, uh, Crockett um, would do Clash 6 opposite WrestleMania 5, which we talked about in our last uh, stream a couple weeks ago. And but that was it. I don't think it happened again. Even though it is going to happen uh, this coming Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> so when uh, when AEW will have Double or Nothing and uh, and WWE, well NXT will have Battleground the day after Night of Champions in, in Saudi Arabia. Anyway, we digress. Um, we saw Doug Gilbert get his ass kicked because Muda rules and um, Muta. Do you know a lot about, or did you know a lot of background about Gary Hart, uh, Greg? Um, no, it wasn't until like the world class, um, documentary, the first, the, the one that was not put out by WWE that I learned a lot about Gary Hart from that documentary. Right. I have both, uh, world-class docs, the, the WWE pretty doc. And then the one that, uh, I think it was Wade Keller that did it. Uh, he did a much more 
kind of dark side of the ring-ish. Maybe not, maybe not as depressing, but almost as depressing. Um, so. I got it right here. There we go. Yep, that's the one. That, that's the one. Yep, I have that one too. Um, so. Uh, so we go. Lance Russell, baby. I love Capetta. So we get Lance Russell interviewing our challenger. Very weird to see Lance here. Yeah, uh, because this is Nashville. This isn't Memphis. So, um, um, it is very, it is very odd uh, to have to have him there because, again, this is not Memphis, which is where he was at his his uh, his uh, peak, or his obviously his his popularity. But Tennessee's Tennessee. So I'm just shooting my camera off for a sec. I will put it back on shortly. All right, so we're going to get back into the ring here as Hacksaw Butch Reed makes his way down to the ring. Yes. And he'll be taking Ranger Ross. Oh, my God. Wonder if he's a uh, Tim Capel favorite. Uh, have to take a look. Have to figure that out. Oh man. This is this is certainly not going to be a main event you'd find anywhere else in the Oh uh, no. No, Gorilla Monsoon cannot uh Gorilla Monsoon cannot uh pimp this uh any any good at all. <laughs> oh my god, Ranger Ross. What? Oh, 
So how much longer are we till uh, we have Doom start? Um, I want to say, well, definitely 1990 because by Capital Combat, they're ch- I think they're the champions. Let me um, let me take a look because they're they're on Starcade '89. Yeah, they're part of the tag Iron Man thingamajig. So let me go to Butch Reed's. I'm gonna go to Butch Reed's. Uh, uh let's Wiki. see. Uh, yes. During summer, he floundered the mid-card. The Steiner brothers were involved in an angle with woman who promised doom for the two brothers, but never specified exactly what this meant. She unveiled her promise at Halloween Havoc 1989, a couple of brawny, hard-hitting, masked African-Americans. It was obvious to most wrestling fans, Ron Simmons and Butchery were under the masks. Uh, they had both been on WCW television shortly before Doom debuted, and they were the only two in the company with the same massive physical appearance. But the announcers were made to keep up the storyline, although Jim Ross accidentally exposed Reed's identity on commentary during Starcade 89. I do remember that. Um, and, of course, they would few, they would be together for a while. Um, when did they... Uh, when did they um, unmask? Um, I think it was at a clash, wasn't it? Was it Clash 14? I think it was Clash 14. Doom lost a non-title match to Sting and Luger in a match that foreshadowed that trouble laid ahead. Uh... Oh, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Clash 10. So by the, oh, Okay, so by Capital Combat, they, 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 uh, they won the belts without the masks. I never remember that. Oh, there's Teddy. He's right there. There's Teddy. So Teddy is officially a manager now. Um, feel free to hop on our chat, everybody, and uh, you know, follow along and comment on on anything you you you'd like um, about the show or some of our facts. If we're short of a of a fact and something you know about something, please feel free to hop on. That explains why Teddy coached uh, Doom later. He was doing this early scouting reports on them. Yes, like a co- like Very a strange. like a college coach recruiting a high school player. Exactly. Yeah, checking out a couple, checking out some uh, a linebacker and some uh, some safeties. My God. Such '80s hair. Oh my the, word! There is a there is a ton of uh, a ton of Aquanet <laughs> in that uh, in that building. There should be like an Instagram account about like random shots of like fans at like 1980s or 1990s wrestling shows. Yeah, I know. Just the fans. Just the fans. Oh, that he's showing off his his press credentials to the camera. Oh, 
This match is give us a give you a little idea what we're looking at for the so the Muda match was three oh three. This match is uh, six fifty nine, so moderately length. As a matter of fact, most of the undercard is um, moderately good. Um, what I find interesting is um, well, we'll get to it, but I totally forgot the match order of this show, and something took me aback which we'll get to. They did. Let's put it this way. The, the uh, card, the match order that that JR did at the beginning of the show is the order of the matches. So he said that flair and steamboat was third to last. And it is, it is not the main event, not the last match of the show, which I find kind of interesting. Um, this match is uh, abysmal. Um, <laughs> and I like, you know, what's oh, funny, yeah. Greg, I like Butch Reed. I've always liked Butch Reed. I always thought he was a good heel. Um, you know, I thought he was a solid worker. I always thought it was, you know, he always got up. He always made me mad because he should have been the Intercontinental Champion instead of Honky Tonk Man. But, you know, things happen. What are you going to do? Um, yeah. You know, let's talk about the roster for a minute because obviously – WCW's roster at this time was very top heavy um, and very tag team heavy. You didn't have a ton of mid card guys, um, as we could tell by this match. Um, it seemed like the undercard uh, was very weak, and you had the uh, you had a great main event, obviously, and you had some good upper mid card Muda. You're building him up. And then you have, um, uh, obviously, solid tag teams, Varsity Club, Road Warriors, etc. But the mid-card definitely, uh, when you're relying on all of this, you know, WWF retreads, um, probably not a good thing. So there you go. Butchery gets the win. Um, good. Yeah, I think they relied too much on the WWF retreads at the moment, the Junkyard Dogs and the... And the, obviously the Iron Sheiks. What's funny, Greg, is that Iron Sheik, when he left WWF, he went to uh, World Class and wrestled with the Von Erichs for the back half. I watched it on one of my chronos. Uh, on the back half of 1987, um, Iron Sheik wrestled in World Class. Um, then he kind of bounced around. I think he went to AWA. I think. Yeah. Because I think he's at Super Clash 3 Sheik. Ah, okay. And then by, and then he, and then he, you know, he realizes that's a mess. And there we go. Flexi Lexi. Matt Souza's favorite wrestler. <laughs> um, God, I love that U.S. title belt. It's one of my favorites of all time. Oh, yeah. Love that. Love that belt. This is uh, Luger's. Uh, like long reign as U.S. champion. Um, he holds this belt, not to tip our hands, but he holds this belt pretty much through the end of 89 and all the way into 90, um, where he loses to, who do you think, Greg? I'm going to throw it your way. Who did Luger lose to at, at Halloween Havoc 90? 
uh, it's I believe Stan Hansen, isn't it? It was. It was. Yes, Stan Larry Hansen. That was an upset. I'll tell you. At the time, I think we were all kind of stunned at that. Um, and then he went it back from him. Yeah, about like two months later, I think. Yeah, and then him and Nikita would feud, and they would, and then this belt would get retired, and they get a new. They would get the U.S. title belt that would actually be used pretty much for the rest of the decade till WCW went out of business. Yeah, which was a much better upgrade for that belt. I love, I love, I, I own that belt. I own the that U.S. title. God damn, Murdoch. God damn, Dick Murdoch. Good lord, were you really, literally, just driving a truck? Dick Murdoch was in his prime at a time. Oh, my God. Boy, Gary Hart was describing all the guys, huh? Oh, yeah. I I hope Dick has been tested for hepatitis before this match. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, I mean, they were both together, Orton and Dick Murdoch, obviously in mid-'80s uh, pre-pay-per-view era, WWF. Uh, Orton was there, obviously, when Piper came. Obviously, he was there when Piper came in. Meanwhile, Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis, one of the most unheralded heel tag team champions in any promotion in the 80s, um, were the tag team champions in 84. Um, so we have a we have a bull rope match bull rope with between Dick Murdoch and Bob Orton, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton. Uh, what I was what I was mentioning before was. Um, Dick Murdoch was in an era where he he would he's kind of like Steve Austin. He would act the same, uh, but the nickname would uh, the nickname would uh, uh, define his side. Captain Redneck was the babyface, and then he had another name when he was a heel. It was kind of like Dick Slater. He'd be the Rebel Dick Slater if he was a face, or Dirty Dick Slater if he was a heel. Like that was the that that was the extent of how you were a face or a heel is how you were. Uh, promoted, um, you know, in a co- in a company based on your name and stuff. So, in any event, um, Orton, I don't think would last too long because I think by 1990 he's in Herb Abrams, uh, not uh, not Herb Abrams UWF, not the coke-addled UWF. Uh, well, maybe it was his UWF. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, because Watts would have been sold to Crockett, like. In right. So, so he, yeah. So by ninety, I think he's because I have some of those shows from when ESPN Classic did them years and years and years ago. Oh yeah, um, that, that was the best. Do you think Cap? Do you think Cowboy Bob Wharton had his own line of cookies like uh, in the UWF? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> he didn't have his own cookie like her paper. I know. His own cookie or his own cookie? <laughs> the herb, the herby cookie. Jesus Christ! Nick Patrick, by the way. Very young Nick Patrick on. Uh, oh, yeah. Murphy. Looks very different from. Yes. When I... I agree. 
some more cool wrestle war shirts. Here. I like that guy's wrestle war shirt behind him, the one with the vertical. That was cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that shirt. That was neat. He's not junior anymore. I gotta ask uh, Chad, our good, our man uh, Chad Campbell. Did they did they build for this? Because I haven't gotten to the I haven't gotten to eighty nine on my one of my Chrono watches. I'm still in late eighty seven. But did they build this match like on the Cindy's, or was this another one of those like early card throwaway things? I I feel like they well, did. Considering- well, they have a stip for this match, so I assume there had to have been a feud or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're not gonna just you're not gonna put a stip on, on something like this. So you're yeah, you're probably right. We haven't decided what our June show will be yet. We'll have to think about it. It's a good June show. No, not King of the Ring '94. <laughs> oh. I want to guess how many times somebody weighed like Orton. Yeah, who is, yeah. is that Tatanka? How much does he weigh? Gorilla, After this guy all... looks like a businessman. <laughs> What's he weigh, Gorilla? I don't know, Art. I can't hear you. <laughs> Adam, I'm literally only six inches away, but I can't hear you. Well, I have an idea of what to cover for June, so. Yeah. Well, we'll have something for you, everybody. We'll, 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 once we figure it out, we'll start promoting it. Um, how long did Bob Caudle stick around? And, uh, is he still alive? Wow, he is. Yeah, Bob is still with us. Yeah, he was, uh, I believe he did the cold open for the, uh, he narrated the cold open for Ric Flair's last match a year ago. Ah, uh, he did. You're right. That's right. Yep. Let's see. He... I know Cordell Coddle's uh, there at Great American Bash ninety because he does it with JR. So Yeah, it says here it says here by late ninety one he goes to South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. Because by ninety one, you know, they have both Tony and JR, so Caudle pretty much pretty much uh lost, lost was the odd man out. Yeah. Promotion closed in a few months and he went to work for obviously Corny took him in for Smoky Mountain. I'm surprised there isn't much smoky on the network slash peacock. There's a yeah, there's a little bit, right? I think some ninety late ninety three, early ninety four, maybe even since ninety five, but not a ton. I have that legend show they did on DVD from that Wrestling Gold set a couple of years ago. Oh, the Wrestling Gold! I love that set. It's it's somewhere in my mishmash here. That was like a hot show. I, I remember finding that set. That wrestling gold set. I remember finding it at Walmart. I think it was like twenty five bucks. I'm like, wow, five discs. This is crazy. I got that on uh, Amazon in twenty seventeen for like, I don't know how much I paid for. It, it was like under ten dollars. I know that. Yeah. But it was oh, pretty much. It was pretty. Yeah, oh God, it was pretty much. Um, oh, they're making it worse. <laughs> oh. I didn't know we were having to have a lynching on this paper. Yeah, it's lovely. Oh, great. 
great. here in Nashville. Oh my God. Yeah, Bob, I look away too. Yeah, everybody should. This is very unpleasant. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, he he would be in Smoky Mountain till they would close in '95, and then he would pretty much leave the wrestling business and do some like personal appearances at like you know those fan fests and all that kind of stuff. So. He introduced Flair at the Fan Fest in 09 after he went to the Hall of Fame. Um, and yeah, I mentioned God bless, him. He's, God bless him. He's still with us in 2023. Yep. He's, uh, my God, what is he? 90, 93. Oof. Wow. He was born in 1930. Caudle's 59, I guess, on this show. That's crazy. Holds JR. JR's got to be, he's got to be like close to like what, 35 to 40 at this point? Yeah, he's 12 years younger, or 22 years younger, sorry. So 52. He was 37. Uh, Okay. He was 37 on this show. So here's uh, Lance Russell interviewing uh, coked up Michael Hayes. Had an eight ball before coming out. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, totally. That hair's luscious. Hmm. Meanwhile, Tommy's just setting up that tag rope. Yeah, I know. He's like, doo, 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 doo. I'm going to set up the tag rope while Paulie gives his spiel. Yep. So Paulie, for the for the for you younger fans, Paulie was introducing his own wrestlers years before Brock Lesnar. The only thing missing is them being accompanied to the ring by Poochie. Oh, Joe Pettacino and Lance Russell broadcasting the pay-per-view live on the hotline. Yes. Who would... 
who would in 1989 pay however much money would be for this pay-per-view? And then also listen to an alternate play-by-play on the hotline. I know. Fuck 99 a minute. Yeah, imagine. $2 a minute for how long? Two and a half hours? I did say though that the that the tag division was you know was pretty strong. Uh so I mean it is the dynamic dudes, but you know, they were getting over, so If you follow uh, uh, our, um, our our network brand on Twitter at PTBN Wrestling, and if you don't, please do. We have a lot of fun over there. Every day I do wrestling time travel, which means every day, if there are any shows, I usually go to the big six. So I go through the history of uh, WWE, WCW, ECW, Impact, New Japan, and Ring of Honor, and I, I, I see what shows happened on this date. And, of course, today, May 7th, uh, not only was, of course, this show, WrestleWar 89, but in a complete 180 in terms of probably quality, uh, Slamboree 2000 happened on this date as well. And I think there was an impact, like one of their early weekly shows from like, uh, um, uh, 03? 2000, in a, I think it was 2003, probably. Yeah. So, but please follow us on Twitter at at uh, PTBN Wrestling, and uh, you know we post our podcast there. Uh, we do the daily time travel. Please comment on it if you remember any of the shows from the from if you were there for any of them, depending when it was. You know, that's at PTBN Wrestling on Twitter. On the Twitter, were they selling those shirts? What do you think they were? Twenty bucks, probably. Yeah, pro- I mean fifteen. I'm guessing. I'm yeah, I'm going to say fifteen too. Was, but- this was WWF, definitely twenty. But Crockett, WCW, a little cheaper with the merch. I'll say, uh, I'll say, uh, um, 10, 15 at most. Yeah, 12, 15, maybe. I would say 15, probably. And maybe if you got the ticket, maybe it came with it. Who knows? That, uh, let's see, that, um, Um, so the Murdoch Orton match was 454. This one's going to be, this one's a little meatier, obviously, because it's, you know, younger guys, not too out of shape, you know, past their prime humps. (laughs) We just watched now. If you listen to, um, if you listen to our mothership, uh, the Place Be podcast, as you know, um, depending 
what the date is of the show at the time that JR and I are doing, I'll usually go back and see what was happening on a certain date earlier in, earlier in history on that date. So why don't we, Greg, while we're watching, uh, watching them, um, beating the crap out of, uh, Mr. Laurinaitis there, um, joining us on the chat. He was, he was unable to, to join us, uh, watching, but, uh, the doctor, Dr. G. George Blino, my co-host on the, uh, NWA Saturday special doctor, um, so let's see what the WWF was doing, Greg, on this day oh. in 1989. Uh, if they were doing anything. I might have been doing nothing. Let's see. May 7th. Oh, okay. Well, uh, there was actually uh, three loops going at that time in 1989. Let me see if there if this if this was a uh... no, it was three different loops because there's three different three different groups. Wow. So three loops on this Sunday for the WWF. Um, uh, loop number one, and all of them were relatively close geographically to where the show is. So loop number one was at uh, the Omni in Atlanta. Uh, the card was uh, Jim Powers versus Iron Mike Sharp, Hillbilly Jim versus Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine and the Blue Blazer, Red Rooster versus Brooklyn Brawler, Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. Wow. May of 89. Um, Rick Martel versus Tito Santana. Uh, Demolition versus the Twin Towers for the tag team titles. And the main event was uh, Ultimate Warrior and our Intercontinental Champion, uh, Ravishing Rick Root. Uh, loop number two was at the Civic Center Arena in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, your card was uh, Coco Beware versus the Warlord. Red Rooster versus the Barbarian. Uh, so Red Rooster went from the Omni to Lakeland. So this must have been maybe this is kind of the same loop, I guess. But I don't see any other matches. Uh, uh, the Rockers versus the Rougeos. Jim Duggan versus Haku. And John Studd versus Andre. Oh, God. 89 Andre Studd. Not like 84 Andre Studd. And then the last loop was actually uh, one of my favorite haunts, the Joyce Convocation Center in South Bend, of course, on the campus of the University of Notre Dame. Paul Roma against Boris Zukov, Rock and Robin defending the women's title against Judy Martin. Oh, God. There we go. That's why I want to be in Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and Robin and Judy Martin, baby. Um, Warlord versus Coco. So, Co Jesus, Coco went from Lakeland, Florida to South Bend. Holy crap. Uh, Macho Man took on Brutus Beefcake. Dino Bravo against Hercules. Bushwhackers against the Brainbusters. Oh, and the Bushwhackers got over. That's terrible. And your main event was Jake Roberts and uh, Ted DiBiase. So three loops, uh, Greg Diener and Hulk Hogan was on none of them. <laughs> none of them. But we missed that one lady in the crowd with a nice hat. She was oh, very styling with that hat. Very styling. Yeah. Hat. So that's what the WWF was doing in 1989 on this date, May May 7th, while they had their uh, pay-per-view going on. Um, let's see. Anywhere else I could look? Well, ECW, no. TNA, Smoky Mountain. Nah, not the rest. I was just checking. My good friend, Richard Land, Landy, and the history of WWE.com uh, to check those out. So thank you, Landy. You're the best. Um, oh, 
this pay-per-view, we were talking about uh, Nick Patrick, who's not doing this match, of course, Tommy Young is. Uh, but this says here, Greg, that uh, this pay-per-view marked the return of Nick Patrick to WCW. He was re- refereeing for Georgia Championship Wrestling from 80 to 85, then went to other territories as a wrestler and referee, and briefly helped oh. his father in his wrestling promotion before returning to GCW's successor, WCW 1989, where he would become senior referee after Tommy Young retired that year. And, of course, Nick Patrick would stay all the way till till WCW ended. His father is... Uh, yeah, is uh, Jody Hamilton. Oh, Jody Hamilton. That's right. His father is the uh, was the uh, assassin. assassin. That's right. Totally forgot about that. I uh, totally forgot about that. Interesting. That's right. His dad was Jody Hamilton. Totally forgot about that. Something maybe some of you did not know. Very interesting. So Tommy Young retired in 1989. That's interesting. Yeah, because I think did he get injured on a match on Saturday night? Uh, it's entirely possible. Is there a Tommy Young link? Let's see. Uh, there is. Let me see what happened to Tommy Young. Let's see. He's still alive. He's 75. He had, really, he had a stage name. His name was Mockley. Thomas Mockley. McClay. Mackley. Uh, let's see. Here we go. So on November, so later that year, good call, Greg. Uh, on this date, November 20, or not in this date, but later this year, on November 28, 1989, uh, while refereeing a match between Mike Rotunda and Tommy Rich at a taping in Atlanta, he suffered a career-ending injury. After an angered Rich threw Young out of the way, Young's head bounced off the rope, and he was left legitimately incapacitated for the rest of the match. This match aired on December 9th. This resulted in a broken neck and the end of his full-time career as a referee. Following the injury, Young drove a parts truck for a Toyota dealership and made home deliveries for prescription drugs. Interesting. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, in 1998, uh, Young appeared briefly in the WWF as part of that NWA invasion angle. He attends wrestling. Oh, God, that was awful. Uh, he attends. Although I did like that NWA North American belt that Jarrett carried around. I thought it was a nice belt. Yeah, um, it was a sweet looking belt. It was a pretty sweet belt. He attends wrestling reunion shows and still occasionally referees, including special matches such as Rock and Roll Express vs. Midnights. In 2010, at ROH's Big Bang pay-per-view, Young served outside the ring as a special guest referee for the ROH World Championship match. He also officiated the George South Battle Royal at WrestleCade 4 in 2015. Oh, the George South Battle Royal. I bet that was awesome. Woohoo! Um, I'm going to go to that ROH The Big Bang show which took place on April 3rd, 2010 from the Grady Cole Center in Charlotte. Who was the ROH title match? It was um, ROH. Oh, it was uh, it was Tyler Black. We all know who that is. Austin Aries and Roddy Strong in a triple threat match for the ROH world title. So Tommy Young officiated that match. So I would definitely call this a mild upset um, as the dynamic dudes actually pull off the win here against um, against the uh, Samoan SWAT team. So this is this is kind of a mild upset. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, the crowd was pretty hot for it. Yeah. That was a great splash right there. Yes. Yeah. I agree. If Jesse was commentating this, he'd be saying, blatant double teaming right here. Yeah, exactly. I didn't say it wasn't wrong if the other team did it. <laughs> Lance Russell interviewing now the judges for the uh, rubber match. Uh, well, not really a rubber match, but the third match because it's been 2-0 Steamboat. Uh, between Flair and Steamboat, Luke Fez, the hooker, who probably thinks he could kick the crap out of Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> He's not the best wrestler. Lance Russell just had a great wrestling commentator voice. Oh, yes, he did. He really did. Pat O'Connor. With his, was he New Zealand, I think? Uh, Maybe. I don't think he's around. I don't think he's with us much longer after this because don't they have like the memorial tournament for him at Starcade the next year? Uh, yes. I'm going to take a look at that. Let's see. Pat O'Connor. So this was May 7th, 89. Pat O'Connor died uh, August 16th, 1990. So, okay, so he's, so, he's, so he's around never year and three months. Yeah. So. I guarantee you, Terry's not going to do anything stupid after the match, like challenge the winner or anything. He wouldn't be that dumb. No, I mean, he really hasn't wrestled, right? I mean, you know, he's not on the the contender's ladder. No, he's been hanging out with Sylvester Stallone on the set of Over the Top. Exactly, and uh, with Patrick Swayze on Roadhouse. Yeah, Patrick told him that there's always Barber College. Yes. One of the all-time so the- greatest lines in any movie. Yes. I love I, great movie too. Love Roadhouse. Um so that 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 tag match was eleven minutes and two seconds. So now we get our first mm-hmm. title match of the uh our first title match of the evening. The Ooh. United States heavyweight championship is on the line. That's a lot of lights and a lot of smoke, and no one's coming out. There we go. So there's our challenger. Bad Street Atlanta, GA. 
Wait, he was represented by Hiro Matsuda? I know. Which I, I just remember that, too. I'm like, that's, that's really? Of all guys, Hiro Matsuda? That's, that's bizarre. Did the Yamasaki Corporation have a thing for Southern music? Yeah, it is funny. Of course, Hiro Matsuda would end up uh, managing guys kind of more suited to his way of wrestling thinking. Well, let's not also forget, Scott, that Hiro Matsuda trained Lex Luger. That is true. This is like a battle of, like, not only of a, of a wrestling match, but also battle of two men with such great hair at this period. Yes, yeah, yeah. You got you got to give uh, you got to give we got to give uh, sexy Lexi his due. His his hair, his late eighties into early nineties hair was pretty great. I think it was a shame when when he went to the WBF in ninety two that the hair was cut. Yeah, it almost makes no sense why they did that, but. So this match, uh, this match is going to go on for a little bit. Luger uh, won the, we actually watched the match where he won the, uh, the U.S. title. Um, I believe he was right. Barry, I think Barry Windham was the champion at Chi-Town Rumble, if I remember correctly. Um... It's... Yes. So we watched, uh, Greg, when Luger actually won the U.S. title. Uh, he defeated, of course, um, Barry Windham at Chi-Town Rumble. And he, as, we, as we mentioned, he would hold it all the way into October of the following year when he would lose to, uh, in a, again, what I think is a pretty big upset to um, Stan Hansen. Another over-the-hill guy that, uh, well, I mean, he was different, though. Like, he might not have been in, like, world title prime like he was when he was champion. And, you know, when he's feuding with Backlander, when he won the AWA title. But he was still a marketable guy that could come in and be a good heel. And, of course, you know, he spent most of his time in the early 90s in Japan and had a great match with Vader where his eyeball fell out or whatever. So, 
Would you say, Greg, that uh, Lex Luger may be one of the most polarizing figures in the history of the business? You either absolutely, there's like no in between. You either absolutely love him or absolutely hate him. Uh, I maybe. I mean, I can see why, like, all the 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 work rate serious wrestling people wouldn't like him, but correct, right? I, I, I mean, when I when we and Robert did that top ten WCW show like a year ago. Oh right, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, we looked at Lex's body of work, and it's like he's having like dynamite matches, like. All up and down, like throughout his entire tenure, and you can, you can say whether you know it's the quality of the opponent or whatever, but you got to give a lot of credit to Lex. I mean, absolutely, I agree. A good, yeah, a, yeah, a good match is basically not carried by one person; it's carried by two people. Now, obviously, Michael Hayes is alone. JR is alluding to it. Terry Gordy is most likely in Japan, uh, you know, starting to build that awesome Miracle Violence connection team with with uh, Steve Williams. Although Steve, no, Steve Williams is on the show, so I guess not. I guess he's just wrestling in, in Japan. And uh, uh, I don't know where Buddy Roberts is. I wonder if he retired by then. Was he still kicking around uh, world class at this time? World class was gone by now. Uh, I think it was pretty much. Uh, oh, did he absorb into USW? Yeah, I, I think I don't think he was there. Well, let me see. I don't know if he was there by then, but we'll take a look. Let's see. It's got to be sometime in like around the summer or a spring where it becomes USWA Texas. I forgot he died. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, um, oh, here we go. So in 87, the Freebirds split up and reformed. Um, Roberts and Gordy turned on Hayes and teamed with Iceman Parsons to feud with Hayes and the Von Erichs. Gordy eventually left Roberts to rejoin Hayes. The feud ended in late 88 when Hayes and Gordy left for Crockett. Roberts acted as manager for the Samoan SWAT team before he retired. Okay. Roberts also had a short feud with world-class referee David Manning, which includes several gimmick matches, such as Roberts wrestling with arm times. I kind of remember that. Manning, who was touted as an accomplished amateur wrestler by the promotion who compensated for the obvious size difference, won most of the matches on flukes. Uh, Roberts managed Hayes and Jimmy Garvin in one match against Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers in WCW on September 5th, 1990. He came out of retirement on April 2nd, 1993 uh, for Global, um, the Kerry Von Erich Memorial Show, and team with Michael Hayes losing to Kevin Von Erich and Chris Adams. 
Um, Roberts later developed throat cancer, of course, because he smoked like a chimney and had surgery to treat it. Uh, he was quoted as saying, don't smoke. I think the reason this happened to me is because I was smoking too much. I recommend to anyone who smokes to quit now. It is hard, but it is worth it. And of course, he I think he lost his, you know, his voice box and he had like uh, he had like the cane thing. Um, he died November 26, 2012. And of course, four years later, he was inducted as part of the Freebirds into the WWE Hall of Fame. Street in the whole USA. So, good song. I think you could buy it. I think it's on uh, iTunes or Apple Music. I got it on iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot where you could get the shirt, the Bad Street USA shirt. I think it's on, uh, might be on Pro Wrestling Tees, I think. That's one shirt. That's one shirt. I don't think homage owns. Oh my God! It's it's Lance Russell. Bad enough that you would pay two dollars a minute to listen to alternate commentary, but it's Lance Russell and Joe Pedicino. Yeah, I mean what? <laughs> God's even watch that or listen to that. I think I'd rather. I mean, obviously, you know, Jr. and Caudle are are legends, but I don't think I'd want to listen to. I mean, I love Lance Russell, but <laughs> Joe Pedicino really. How that guy got Bonnie Blackstone, I have no idea. She was she was pretty hot and well he was Joe Pedicino. <laughs> hey, I gotta give him credit, man. Yeah, he got he got an upgrade. So as expected, this match is uh going at a very uh methodical pace, being being uh delicate in my uh description of it, but You know, it doesn't help that both of them are wearing blue tights. Mm. I mean, Lex was over, so, I mean, people could say what they want, but the crowd was definitely into him, so 
Oh, yeah. Back to the headlock. <laughs> I think this would be... I think uh, WCW's next pay-per-view after this would, of course, be arguably one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Maybe this would be a fun show to do in July. Um, the Great American Bash. Bash 89 is arguably one of the best... Um, one of the best pay-per-view matches of all... The pay-per-view shows of all time. The first flare funk. Uh, there's that war, the war games match with Road Warriors, Midnights, and Steve Williams against the Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin, or Freebirds and Samoa Swat team, uh, Sting Muda, um, Luger yeah, Steve. Double Ring Battle Royal, right? Yep. Uh, where's that? Double Ring. Uh, skyscrapers. Yep. The King of the Hill Double Ring Battle Royal. Uh, who was in that? Uh, it was uh, Skyscraper, Steve Williams, Bill Irwin, Brian Pillman, Eddie Gilbert, Kevin Sullivan, Mike Rotunda, Ranger Ross, Rick Steiner, Ron Simmons, Scott Hall, Scott Steiner, and Terry Gordy. It's a lot of meat in that ring. But yes. Was, our, that, when, uh, was that, that when Scott Hall was Gator Scott Hall? Probably. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Gator Scott Hall. Yeah, so... That'd be a fun show to do in July. Yeah. Oh, no. Hero just attacked Lex. Wow. Well, Lex is probably used to that. Yes. I can't believe I trained you this poorly. Well, remember, didn't Hero, when he was breaking Hulk in, didn't he, like, break his ankle or something? Yeah, he did. And he wasn't going to come back. Yes, that is a true story. According, well, according to Hulk, it's a true story. But I think it's I think it has been backed up. Yeah, the the Rock mentioned it on Young Rock, so it's yeah. If it's mentioned on Young Rock by the Rock, that's all it counts. Like. Exactly. And back to the headlock. <laughs> so, is looking up on Wikipedia the uh, Nashville Municipal Auditorium? So, they um, 
obviously it hosted Starcades 94, 95, 96. Hosted Clash of the Champions 35. And it hosted Super Brawl Revenge in 01. And also, Masada Tanaka won his only ECW heavyweight championship by defeating Mike Awesome on an ECW on TNN taping in December of 1999. Ah, okay. And later that year, it hosted the WWF No Holds Barred the Match the Movie pay-per-view special. Yep, yes it did. And In Your House 2. Yes, it did. That was the the pay-per-view debut of Triple H. That's I mean, right. Not, not in a match. He was one of the lumberjacks, but one of the lumberjacks. Yes. Yep. And it has that great uh, Shawn Michaels Jeff Jarrett match. Yes, which is on my uh, that's on my that match is on my GWWE list. I don't remember where. I think it's in the thirty somewhere. That's a fun show in your house too. Uh, I agree. Even the Diesel Sid Lumberjack match, it's not that bad. Right. That was fine. Their regular match the month the month before, or the one in uh, May, was atrocious. The Syracuse match was not good at all. No, the Syracuse match was not good at all. So it was built in night. It broke ground in 1959. It opened on October 7th, 1962. It's actually still open. Uh, it was renovated in nineteen in 1993 and then renovated again in 2017. Um, the Exhibition Hall has been permanent home to the Munich Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum since 2013. Um, uh Wrestle War in No Holds Barred the Match. Starcade for three straight years from 94 through 96. In Your House 2. Um, Super Brawl 2001. Slammiversary. A few TNA shows. Slammiversary. Lockdown. And of course, the Ric Flair's last match was here. So. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. Yeah. Uh, I watched that. It was uh, it was rough. I mean, well, I, I'm so glad I didn't spend money on that. No, I, uh, it's finally free. If you have the fight plus, uh, oh, I didn't good. Pay. Yeah. Took long enough, but, um, if you have the fight plus, uh, it was free. So. Okay. So I have to subscribe to fight plus to get, yeah, that's only it. five bucks a month or 50 a year. Okay. That's good. That's not that yeah. bad. Yeah. No, not at all. That's a steal. It is. Absolutely. And now MLW is going to do their shows through Fight Plus, their big pay-per-views. So that's pretty cool. Oh, my God. The Nashville Municipal Auditorium. One of the tenants they had recently from 2018 to 2019, the Nashville Knights of the Lingerie Football League. Yes. So, of course, Michael Hayes pulled off the upset here. Surprise! Um, 
they they hit heads and then uh but he doesn't hold it long no because lex would win it right back yeah pretty much because lex wrestles steamboat at the bash so and then they don't they do like a nonsensical heel turn with lex right after that uh no, the heel turns not till 91 because he baby faced through the end of 90 because he's shooting with uh, Stan okay. Hansen. So, okay, so, they, so it was a baby face versus baby face match? Yeah, pretty much. Oh. Yeah. Now we are interviewing the Stinger, who is the world's television champion. Still have the classic NWA TV belt this time, huh? Yes. Oh yeah, that belt that belt uh, sticks around till ninety three. Yeah, because I mean Austin has it in ninety one. Yeah, I think like either ninety two or ninety three. Because I remember by the time uh, Stephen Regal starts winning it, it's it's a different belt. So. I think that belt lasts until like 92, early 93. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Oh, God. Unlike this match, which will not be good. Uh, That match was uh, 16 minutes and 6 seconds. You know, one thing I liked about the classic NWA TV belt, how it had the... uh, that networks on the belt. Yes. I always thought that was so cool. Dr. G and I, when, um, when the new NWA, uh, the current, the Billy NWA, uh, brought back the TV belt at, I guess it was hard times one, which was in January of 2020. Um, they actually, right before the pandemic, they actually, that's when they brought back the TV belt and did a tournament and it was very cool. And they, and they use it now currently held by Tom Latimer. Um, I haven't seen the current NWA TV belt. Does it still have like the vintage logos for all three networks? Yes, it does. Oh, so, so it has the proud N and for the NBC logo on. Yes. There. Yep. And it has, Oh, the, that's great. Has the ABC logo. Yep. Oh, the proud NNBC logo from like 79 to 86. Very underrated. Yep. Logo. I agree. I mean, I get why they changed it to what's, what's been pretty much the NBC logo ever since. Because at this point, NBC was starting to get away from like everything from like all the crap they had earlier in the decade. Like, uh, right. Hello, Larry, and Manimal, and all that. Manimal on my pockets. Manimal. Oh God, I love Manimal. It's like it's so bad. It's great. I've told Mike and Chico one day I'm going to buy on eBay and hang on my wall the the famous press photo of Simon McCorkendale with the falcon on his hand. (laughs) I wonder if Manimal's on. uh... I wonder if you can get the Manimal series on DVD. I don't think it's on. Uh, yes, you can. Oh yeah, Shout Shout Factory has it. Oh wow. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's uh, streaming anywhere. 
I would rather watch Manimal than this. <laughs> Mercifully, this match uh, is not very long. Jesus Christ, cheeky. You're Dayglow Orange Tights. Yeah. With the with the camel on it, which we can't see because his guts hanging over it, but Does Sheik have a boner? <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Now, hold on a second. If I can get it real quick. I have in my hand right here. Yeah, Iron Sheik uh, retro figure from Mattel that they released uh, back in, I believe, 2016, 2017. Is that, does that, is that the uh, green uh, WWF belt? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I bought awesome. it on uh, eBay. Yeah. Yeah, this is the uh, Backlund 83 belt. Very nice. That was a merciful two minutes and 12 seconds. Oh. God. And the crowd's so happy. Yeah, not often Sting wrestles a match and doesn't lose any of his paint. Oh, no. The crowd's happy. They don't have to watch this anymore. Yeah. Even crazier is he actually made... He actually made Sheik tap. That's even worse. I know. This was before the era when it was common for right. people out. Pre-UFC. Now we have an interview with the Dragon, our world's heavyweight champion. I wonder if people were getting a feeling that this is probably, probably going to uh, be it and Flair was going to win. Okay, 
<laughs> and here we go. So, yeah, the big thing here is the main event, the best match, is actually not last. And I think given what happens, like, right after this, it's understandable as to why this isn't booked to last. Jeez, this must be like 20 women he's brought out for this. Good match. Lord. And it looks like uh, three of them are wearing bras. Okay, right before we have uh, Ricky out in the ring, I, I got another uh, figure down from my uh, my chest real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm holding this on the camera right here. This is the WCW uh, Globe Ric Flair figure, and I got uh, also online from online a uh, WCW '91 to '94 replica be- wow. figure belt in the Hasbro style. Yeah, that's very cool. The belt that he would win from Vader at uh, Star K ninety three. Yep, I've always liked that belt. I'm glad you could buy. You could, I think you can get it on uh, shop.com. Ooh, a pony. Yeah, no, and Bonnie probably made uh, probably made Jim Hurd buy it. <laughs> Ugh, what a witch. That is a very impressive mullet that his kid has. Oh, yeah. That is a very impressive mullet. One and a half year old Richie Steamboat rocking a sweet mullet. That's right. We might put a poll up. Maybe maybe, uh, Greg and I might might think of a few, maybe two or three shows for June and um, we'll, we'll let you know when, what night we, we, uh, we do it and maybe we'll put a poll up and uh, uh, with maybe, you know, three historically decent June shows and uh, well, you, I, the listener, let us know what you think. Which show would you like us to do? Well, well I got one off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, King of the ring 98. Oh, okay. The, the attitude era, uh, Ken Shamrock win and uh, Kane winning the world title. Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell. Um, oh, yeah, the Hell in a Cell. Yep, Mick. Um, hmm. I don't think there's a lot of June WCW shows. Oh, we got the judges. Ladies and gentlemen, this man from New Zealand, he crowned the 
Oof, look at that cauliflower ear. How did he get it even here? My God. It's like totally closed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but until uh, Cody won the NWA championship from Nick Aldis at All mm-hmm. In, were, were uh, uh, Terry and Dory Jr. the only family members to ever win the NWA title? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, obviously, uh, Jack Briscoe won the World's Heavyweight Championship, but Jerry, of course, did not. They, of course, were both tag team champions. Uh, but yeah, pretty much Dusty and Cody and Terry and Dory. Yep. I think most people might have had a feeling that Based on how the Clash Six match ended, that that I think Flair, I think a lot of people had a feeling Flair was going to win this match. So the first. WCW pay-per-view that ever took place in the month of June is actually not a bad show. Uh, Beach Blast 1992. Oh, that's, that's another candidate right there. Yeah, so that uh, so we may, maybe we'll put that on our on our uh, ballot and maybe one more show. Flair's in, Flair's in like great shape here. Yes. Yep. I mean, Steamboat's in his usual you know, ridiculous shape. Um, I wonder if it's on, uh, the cock, but, uh, ECW did a show in June of 97 called Orgy of Violence. Orgy of Violence. Orgy of Violence. We'll have to go back to the annals of, uh, the Extreme Three-Way Dance with, uh, Jenny and, uh, JR and, and Mr. D'Amato slash Matt and see if they did Orgy of Violence. Can't remember off the top of my head whether they did it or not. They probably did. If it's on, uh. If it's on Peacock, they probably did it because it was probably on the network too. So, um, they did do some shows in June, though. Hostile City Showdown '99, interesting. Anyway, we'll put out a uh, poll on our Twitter at PTBN Wrestling and uh, let us know what you would like to see. Uh, on Stream Lounge with uh, Greg and I and maybe hopefully some more guests uh, in the month of June. So.
now, Scott, this is not necessarily a pay-per-view, but this occurred in June. Yes. And it's on Peacock. The Madison Square Garden house show from June 3rd, 1991. Yes, that's the... With the Hogan Slaughter Desert Storm match. Desert Storm match. I believe there's a, uh, I think there's a Brett Perfect match on there too. Uh, that's a possibility, sure. Um, this match came out hot. Place is going nuts. I'm wondering what, how, how you're kayfabe judging a wrestling match. How would that even work? Well, they just showed Terry Funk writing. He's either doodling or he just wrote, these guys are both egg-sucking dogs. No. I just think, how how can you score a wrestling match? I know. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. I wonder what the decision was. And, you know, again, this might be a Chad question. I wonder what the decision was to not have this match last. I understand, you know, we'll, we'll, and we'll get to it at the end of the show, at the end of the match, after match, so I won't get into that. But I wonder if if, if that had some kind of bearing. Like, why, why would it matter if this match was last or not based on what happened post-match, which, again, we'll get to in a little bit. Obviously, this is the longest match of the show. As we're watching this, I'm I'm going to be curious why a lot of people think this one is the best of the three. Um, everyone knows my, my, and I know this is your, I believe, did you say, Greg, this was your favorite of the three or was it the clash match like me? The clash match was yeah, the clash my match. favorite. But uh, yeah, mine too, as we, we that's well documented. Um, but this match, I think I have this at, on my GWCW list. I think this match is four, I want to say. I had it a lot, a lot lower. I think it was like, uh, I think I said last time it was like 12 or 13. Wow, really? I'm yeah. pretty sure it's four because I know my top three are the Clash 6 match, uh, Tully and Magnum from Starcade 85, and War Games from Wrestle War 92. So. Yeah, if I, I'm going to get the, I'm going to look it up real quick, the list. Yeah, I had this match at number four. Yeah, it was, uh, yep. I had this at fourteen. Huh? I had the, I had the Landover match a spot higher. Wow, I have. That's crazy. Our because I have a Flair Steamboat match at fourteen, but mine is uh, the one from NWA Boogie Jam, which was March seventeenth, nineteen eighty four. 
which is no longer on Peacock because that was in the gems. So I don't think Boogie's oh. Man is on uh, Peacock. But when it was the old What's WWE the Network. It was. What's yeah. the deal with the whole thing about them not putting up all those? I know. The gems, I mean, because of that, Greg, unfortunately, we had to retire one of my favorite podcasts I ever was on, uh, never did. And that is, of course, Jenny and the Gems. It was myself, Jennifer Smith, uh, Drew Wardlaw, and uh, Matt Souza. We had a lot of fun. I loved doing that show. And we did Boogie Jam 84. Um, we also did another great match, which I think I have on here. Let me see if I have it on here. There's another match, all-time all match that's on, that came from Jenny and the Gems. I'm pretty sure it's on here. Yes, it is. There was a show that we did. I don't think it's on Peacock either. It was called Superstars on the Superstation. And it oh, took yes. Place on, I... Yep. It took place on February 7th, 1986. And the main event of that show was Flair defending the world title against Ronnie Garvin. And that match is amazing. And oh, I yes. have it. I have it at thirty nine on my list. Um, if you could find that match, uh, I would highly recommend watching it. It's, I, it's definitely better than anything they did in eighty seven because those matches were all kind of crap. Although I think I have one of, I think I have one of them on my list. But um, they have they have the specialized like Superstation mat on that show, right? That has Superstation on it. Yeah. Greg's checking for us if it's on the cock. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Nah, it was on the gems. If you want to listen to a great show, um, go to our archives at placetobe.podbean.com. Look up Jenny and the Gems. We had so much fun on that show, and it breaks my heart. We we don't we we had to retire it because when they moved to Peacock, they dumped the gems, which broke my heart. But you can still watch Super Clash Four on the net on Peacock. So, yeah. So thank God that's still on. There. Yes, exactly. That is hilarious to watch. It is. We also Especially miss the. Uh, yeah. We also miss the um. The uh. AWA uh serial marketing uh <laughs> retreat. Oh God. That's the one thing I'm so sad about because that yeah. that would have been perfect for my podcast. Yeah, you should have done that. It was it was uh, ridiculously hilarious. AWA guys coming in to entertain a bunch of uh, Nabisco or Kellogg execs or whatever the hell it was. And, and the best part is the one executive who's talking about how they're going to make talking like an evil dictator about their. Their plans like we will confuse the marketplace with coupons. I know we're going to destroy post. <laughs> okay, so my top ten, I got I have the list up. Number ten I had Magnum against Tully at Starcade eighty five. Okay. Number nine, uh Steamboat and Rude at Beach Blast ninety two. Number eight, the Flair Wyndham match on uh, Worldwide, which was the one hour match. Yes, I have that match. Number seven, Flair and Funk at Great American Bash 89. Uh, number six, from Slambury 94, the Nasty Boys against Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan. 
Oh, number right. Five, yep. Number five, number five, Vader and Flair at Starcade, 93. Uh, number four, I have Sting Squadron against the Interest Alliance in the War Games match yep. at Russell Ward, 92. Uh, number one, number three is uh, Flair and Sting at Clash 1. Uh, Shytown Rumble is number two, and uh, the Clash match is number one. So. Okay. Let's see my uh, let's see my number number ten. I had Chono and Muda from the Fantastic Story at Tokyo Dome in January of ninety three. Number nine, I had Flair. The Flair. I had the Chai Tom Rumble match. Eight, I had uh, Flair Funk from Na- uh, New York Knockout, which will be generated from what we'll watch in a little bit after this. Um, seven was uh, the Dog Collar match from Starkey eighty three. Um, the Hitman and uh, the Hitman. The Hammer and uh, the Hot Rod. Number six, uh, Ray Eddy from Halloween Havoc 97. Uh, Number five, which is, I think, a hidden gem in itself, is Regal and Arn from Super Brawl 94 for the TV title. Oh, my God. That match is amazing. Then uh, four, I had uh, this match. Three, I had the War Games from 92. Two, I had the I Quit from Starkid 85. And one, I had the, the Clash. But if you've never seen that, uh, for anybody who's, who may not have seen it, if you've never seen that uh, Regal Arn match from from Super Brawl '94, you've got to see it. You want to talk about two guys who had no problem going a little snug? Woof. With this being, you know, the other thing I like too, Greg, why I like the Clash match, because of the whole two out of three dynamic, I felt like this match and the Chi-Town Rumble match were more kind of standard psychology fare, if that makes any sense. Like the story being told is the same, whereas with the Clash being elongated to 58 minutes and double, and you know, multiple pinfalls, it had a much more unique storytelling feel. No disrespect to this match or the Chai Tom Royal match. All I'm saying is, is those matches were able to have a more, um, a re, uh, you know, kind of typical flair steamboat storytelling um, bubble. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but that takes nothing away from this match. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, no. I think Chad, I think I talked to Chad about this, and maybe I'll have to ask Dr. G, too. Was 1989, and 1989, in case no one knows that I've said a million times on past podcasts, 1989 is one of my favorite years of wrestling, period. That's why I've had so much fun, Greg and I, watching these these, these shows. 1989 is arguably one of my favorite um, uh, years of wrestling ever. Uh, But the question I have, and I need to... I should ask Chad this. Was 1989 Flair's best year of wrestling? Mm. Um, Because I feel like... Like 88, he had to wrestle Luger twice. Not not the best matches. Not the worst, but not the best. 87, I mean, I watched most 87. It was mostly with 
with Garvin, both Garvins, Jimmy and Ronnie. Um, 86, 85, maybe. But I might contend that 89 might be the best year of flair in history. Um, yeah, this is like his peak right here in 89. I, I think so. I think so. I mean, if you're like an older fan, you might argue like, well, 82 in Mid-Atlantic was probably like his I'm just, you know, 82, 83 maybe, but. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that there probably is a generational thing there. And I think, you know, it's easy to mention 89 because obviously pay-per-view and it was much more available uh, in a television, you know, landscape, but. Oh, right into the crowd there. The one thing I appreciate about NWA is like the action would come like right, right to you if you had a ringside seat. Yes. Oh, look at how nice it is. Those fans are helping Ricky get back up. Oh, come on, Ricky. Oh, there's that WrestleWare 89 shirt that that lady's wearing. Love that shirt. That one kid's like, there you go, Ricky. Pat on the back there. Good job, Ricky. A Klondike Bill there having the best view of the action. I know, right? Don't trip. Their chops were so good. Oh, man. They, they just knew how to deliver it. This ma- I mean, this match is amazing. I mean, obviously, we're not... We're, we're definitely not discounting that. But, my God, this match is amazing. Lufez writing down, these chops are weak. (laughs) I could snap these guys' ankles. Oof. Wow. Well, if I recall, didn't, like, Fez 
his last match wasn't until like ninety one, right? Fez? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think he wrestled in ninety one, yeah, at a show in Japan. Because I think wasn't the big thing like he was the first wrestler to have a match in like six different decades. Correct. Yeah, not Bruno. Well, Bruno didn't start wrestling until the fifties anyway, so he was younger. He was obviously younger than Fez. Very impressive. Every move is crisp. I feel like I'm probably wrong, but I feel like, and I think I said this to you, I think we talked about this on the last two, too, particularly the Clash one, that I feel like JR definitely uh, fit um, doing these matches more than even Tony. Yeah. You know? Because JR brings, like, a certain, like, sports announcer quality to these matches. Yeah, realism. Yeah, I agree. And nothing against Tony. Like, Tony's, like, for my money, like, one of my all-time favorite announcers. Oh, me too. Oh, totally. Of course. I do do not think he would have... The tone of these matches would be so much different on commentary if he was on the call for those. Totally right. But you know what? Tony would have his his best moment in eighty nine with that uh, SummerSlam show. Oh yeah, which for my for my money, him and Jesse is probably like one of the all time great commentaries ever on a Yeah, I gotta say, uh, Greg, we we we, I appreciate your showing us the occasional uh, figure. I'm still digging the the uh, chic one with the with the eighty three belt. That's pretty great. As a matter of fact, that figure has more work rate than the Iron Sheik we watched tonight. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, now that we have, like, all the, um, to- like, the independent toy companies making Hasbro-style figures, 
Someone right. really should make a retro style Tommy Young. Yeah. They should do a uh they should do a WCW NWA WCW box of announcers like like a set. Tommy Young, Nick Patrick, Pee Wee. And then I'm throw surprised, in like, Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, that uh, Tony hasn't uh, had Jazz Wars make like an e- EW like retro style line yet, considering they I brought know. back the uh, wrestling LJN style figures. Right. Like I love I mean I love those uh LJN style figures that AEW's put out, especially the one from the uh, first set with Cody. That figure is amazing. I agree. Cody's had like a great run of like figures the last couple of years. Like the the um the defining moments figure from the um the Rollins match with the torn peck. The yeah. detail on that figure. Oh my god. Oh wow. They they took some bumps. That I swear to God, had they fallen four inches the wrong way, they either could have been paralyzed or dead. Oh God! Because I mean that bump there, man, he could have he could have totally they could have totally broken their necks. That was an out of control pump right there, right? Especially with the the way the uh, barricade set up too. I know. Wow, elevation on that slam. Woo. What cracks me up about, and this is why I love Steamboat so much, um, uh, like he wrestled, even as champion, he always wrestled like he was the challenger. I don't know, something about that. You know, the amazing thing is, like, Flair said, you know, everyone talks about how amazing the 89 matches were. But he said, you know, we had matches, like, in mid-Atlantic, that were more amazing than those three that were just for like the crowds. And like nobody ever like taped those shows. I know. I mean, he said it. Was... it on... Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. He said that on his, on the, the flare set that came out in 04. He goes, Steamboat and I wrestled like 500 times and 490 of them are probably better than the ones that you've seen, except for the 600 people in Greenville 
or whatever. Yeah. I bet those shows, you know, when they were wrestling, I mean, if you look on HistoryWWE.com and, and you go into that stretch in 84 where, you know, him, the two of them had their matches, like in Boogie Jam and some of these other the metal, you know. And they had wrestled on house shows all over the South and Mid-Atlantic. Um, I bet you those matches are freaking ridiculous. But I just love, I just, I, I know Sean Kidd just, I don't know why he doesn't get it, but I just love watching Ricky Steamboat wrestle because even when he's a champion, he wrestles with a sense of urgency, even when he knows he doesn't have to. It's so great. It's something like a lot of wrestlers today should learn from. I, I agree. Wow, were these these bumps? Thank God they didn't do the Bill Watts thing or whatever, and took the bit, took the uh, oh. the padding, oh, took the padding out because I mean, Jesus God, they're ridiculous. <laughs> oh, there's Bill After right there. Yep, of course. It's either him or George Napolitano, one of those two guys taking camera shots. Yeah, the T-shirt must have been a deal, because uh, because uh, I'm like literally everybody's wearing it. Flair hooks in the figure four. He's been in that for a while. <laughs> to this day, I still never understand the figure four pin. How could somebody be pinned when they're not really on them? Still don't get that. It always makes me laugh. Imagine getting pinned by the figure four. I know. You're not even being touched. Oh, 
still working the again. Good psychology. Steamboat injured that leg on the last bump, and Flair's taking advantage of it. Punching the kneecap. Pretty great. Oh. Obviously, in the days before, it was actually called an enziguri. There it is. Wow. It, it, again, perfect psychology, using the collapsed leg, using the injured leg. In an earned victory, too, for Rick, which makes yes. sense because of what's going to happen later. Yep, and the crowd's popping, so. Well, they got, yeah, they got to see a title change, which in those days, I mean, that's pretty rare to see it. A title change and, you know, arguably... You know, if you were live, you just saw, like, one of the greatest matches of all time, so. Steamboat exits. It's like, yep, I have my thing. I'm good. Yay, three matches. So would he have still some like, still, but would he have like tied or or broken Fez's record yet? Well, he's six-time champion here, and no, because Harley Harley was still leading with seven at this point. Oh, okay, Harley so was still leading with seven. Okay, so Harley had the record. Harley had the record. Yep. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Congratulations, you egg-sucking dog. You don't want to look at my notes. I love that he's blatantly trying to kiss Rick's ass right here. I know. And let's see, and I'm trying to think, Flair, I mean, Funk wrestled, I mean, he was wrestling in 87 in, in WWF. Yeah, I don't think they'd ever cross paths. I mean, maybe in the old days. Maybe in Japan or something. But. Yeah. Good enough. You see, I'm not good enough, aren't you? 
<laughs> when you were in Hollywood making Roadhouse, <laughs> I was winning world titles. Oh, he was just kidding. He was, he just, was kidding. just kidding. Oh, what? What is going on? I got to say, came out of nowhere because... Who the hell was thinking about Terry Funk in 1989, really? I mean, he hadn't been in the WWF since early 87. Didn't really know. Look at that kid in the bear. Yeah, look at that kid in the bear shirt. He's loving this. (laughs) Yeah. This guy's cooler than Brad Muster. I forgot how awesome that was. Funk just fucking falls over. He don't give a shit. (laughs) That's awesome. And clearly it's not a gimmick table. That's what I love about it. Right. Oh, he gave him a concerto. Wow. Oh, this is so great. This is I so love Terry what to Doug. I love how you once said to Doug Dillinger. What are you going to do about it? Huh? Yeah. There's not many people I know that hate Doug Dillinger more than uh, than uh, Matt Rotella. But uh, <laughs> Funk's right. There is nothing Doug Dillinger's going to do. So. Look how freak JR is here. This is so great. Ah, yes. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Steamboat quietly walks out of the ring. All right, I'm good. I forgot uh, when you mentioned it. I forgot that uh, uh, that uh, Funk was in over the top. I totally forgot. I knew, obviously, yeah. I knew he was in Roadhouse. Well, yeah, because his boss in that movie was Robert Loja. Robert yeah. Loja. Yep. Drink and your in, orange uh, juice, kid. And in uh, uh, Roadhouse, he was Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara was his boss. 
Oh, oh what a great heel Ben Gazzara was in that. Yes. Movie. Fucking Funk. Meanwhile, thank God that table wasn't too much closer. Or Funk would have given himself a concussion on the steps. Oh, fudge, that would have been awful. That would have been crazy. His fucking bed's bleeding. It probably, Funk probably would have been like, damn it. Oh, God. What storytelling. Two fucking studs right now. I love how Terry just threw that chair like, eh. Yeah. So awesome. I guess Lance is working solo at the hotline right now. Yep. Joe's doing this interview. Pedicino. What the heck is... What is with the Kita's butt? I have have no idea. Totally forgot about that. Well, this is when MC Hammer's getting big. So maybe this is like... Nikita yeah. was listening to that MC Hammer. He's like, yeah, I want some of that. So, I wonder if, if, I wonder if, if what happened there, if, if doing the, the, the Flair Funk segment kind of kills the buzz on these last two matches. I'm curious as we finish here as we watch the end of this, if that's the case. Because I say to myself, I would have no problem, even though, you know, Flair won the match. I would have no problem with, um, with uh, uh, that being the end of the show. Those are They have Raiders? Did they get the Raider girls for this? That is crazy. Maybe it's a high school. Maybe it's a high school cheerleader. Exactly. Uh, Vanderbilt. College. Probably Vanderbilt. No, no, it says Raiders. Maybe it is a Raiders. Maybe it's like a D three, D two. Oh, college. you know who it might be? Uh, oh. Middle Tennessee State. Oh, okay. Uh, who was in Murfreesboro? Their team name is the Blue Raiders. Okay, so, so they were just the Raiders, probably back then. Yeah. Because that's definitely blue, not black. So, yeah, like Al Davis would send like his cheerleaders halfway across the country to Nashville for this. I know. Oh, the pyro's going off during the start of this match. Ah, uh, so good. So the Varsity Club are the world's tag team champions. Uh, they won it Class 6, I think. Or, yeah. And, uh, and now they're taking on the Road Warriors. And Nikita Koloff is the special guest referee. So, 
I mean, I guess if there's anybody that can that can keep the energy level up after the Flair Funk stuff, it would be the Road Warriors. So. And Nikita Koloff just ejected Kevin Sullivan. Ejected him like he was Whitey Herzog. Yes. I'm trying to remember this show. I'm curious if uh, if if that's it for Funk, or if he actually does an interview, with, uh, an interview before the end of the broadcast. I don't think so. Geez, look at that jacket that Paul Ellering has on. I know. He's running a safari. He's good. He's looking like a tour guide on Jungle Cruise at Disney World. I know. I love Steve Williams. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if, um, if, uh, Dr. Death would have been a great, like, world champion. But he was the uh, he was the UWF champion for Watts near the end, right? Yes, he, he was the last one actually. I don't know. I'm kind of surprised he was never like in the world title contention, like around like. 90 or so. Right. I agree. I have a feeling he'd have been a good uh, opponent for Sting. I wonder if that was ever thought about if, if like, Vader didn't didn't elevate. Yeah, that's the problem. When Vader entered the world title picture, it's like, 
you don't really need a second monster. Here. No, you weren't going to get anybody like a bigger monster than than Vader at that point. So. This is a good. This is a good fun little brawl. So the final tally of the Flair uh, Steamboat match that match was thirty one thirty seven. Second longest of the three. Obviously, the Clash was the longest, and I think Chi Town Rumble was in the mid twenties. I think. Oh, here's the Doomsday. Oh God, the greatest, the greatest tag team finisher of all time. Oh, oh, what's going what? on here? Nikita's getting beat up. Yep, so we get a DQ. Nick Patrick comes out, and I think this match ends in a DQ. Six minutes and six seconds is your match time. Jeez, I thought the WrestleMania 39 main event finish was all worse. I know. So the Road Warriors win, unfortunately by disqualification, so no title change. Road Warriors are in the NWA for probably another year or so. And then, of course, they uh, make it to the uh, WWF by the summer of 90. I loved Mike Rotundo's Syracuse boots. They're so cool. I think I'm a mark for orange, so... Babyface Eddie Gilbert. That's always weird. Yeah. Such a good heel. Oh, Missy. So, Eddie and Missy, they were still together at this point, right? Who's that? 
uh, Eddie Gilbert and um, Missy? Because they were dating at the time, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, the pizza guy is meeting with the board. This oh, is going to happen. So, how much is that table going to cost us? <laughs> I'm just wondering was the uh, was was there uh, personal pan pizzas at the catering bag? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> was it well, sponsored guys, by Bucket? Yeah, this is a pay per view, guys. We need stuffed crust. We we only do normal pan pizzas for the uh, for the uh, TV tapings, but for pay per views, oh no, stuff crust. Oh, wow. That's got to be George Napolitano, the other guy with the camera, because him and him and uh, what's his name? They were always they always shot stuff together. Bill, yeah. Him and Bill, yeah. Him and Bill. It's kind of a lost art now, seeing uh, the photographers. Oh yeah, definitely. That's a good. I agree with you, Greg. I agree with you on that. Definitely. Nowadays, it's like nowadays, it's like everyone has like an iPhone and they just take it right, right on the camera. Right. Yep. And you can tell, like, the crowd is, like, sparsed right after that main event because you see, like, some empty seats over in that one corner. Yeah, I agree. Oh, uh, there was going to be a, there was going to be some collateral damage to having the Flair Steamboat match uh, third to last. And then, of course, the funk stuff, I think everybody got kind of gassed, even the, even the, uh, the crowd, you know. He doesn't even take his Michigan jacket off. I know. For you, some of you younger fans that may not know the backstory, uh, Rick Steiner actually started out uh, solo. We got, I think we kind of alluded to this on the last show. Um, you know, he he was a a um, 
he was the uh, he was the solo guy first. Scott didn't come in, you know, probably soon after this, maybe even early '90, and then they would become the Steiner brothers, as everybody knows. Damn, Danny Spivey's hair at this point. Oh, his 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 like very uh, symmetrical mullet situation was was top notch. When you had like the flat top mullet combo, flullet, which I totally made up, but. I say this every time we do a show with a with uh, Eddie Gilbert, but it always breaks my heart. For those that don't know, Eddie Gilbert, like a lot of wrestlers, had a a, a dependency problem on the white powder, and uh, it killed him in 1993 or 94, 93, I think. Um, let me just look. Uh, February of 1995, according to Wiki. Oh, 95. Wow, that's right. I thought it was early. No, that, that's right. It is 95. I mean, still, though. He had heart attack from constant uh, cocaine dependence. But not only was the guy a pretty solid wrestler, boy, did he have a mind for it. And he actually has a uh, banner in the uh, ECW arena. Yes, I've seen it. I've seen it. Yep. That's like one place I would love to. If, the, if there's a show like for Mania Weekend in Philly at the ECW arena, I think there I'm will be. I don't think there's any question there will be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been there for two things. I was there in 2015. Uh, actually, they're both Royal Rumble weekends. 2015, I was there uh, for an ROH taping. And then three years later in 2018, I was there for the Rumble weekend. And it was uh, a con. Um, 
uh, like a WrestleCon kind of thing convention. And I, that's when I met the horsemen. And, uh, and I looked up and I remember, and I saw they, there were, the banners are still there. They cleaned them up a little, but the banners are there. And I did see the, uh, the Eddie Gilbert banner. So. I love Kevin Sullivan. What a, what a piece of shit. They're replaying the shoulder block into the post. So a couple of solid sprint tag team matches to end the show out of the uh, yeah. flare, um, steamboat stuff. So now uh, Bob and Jim Ross are giving us an update on the Flair situation and his pile driving into the table and then So they're going over the the particulars of the Funk Flair situation. Funk possibly being fined or, sus- well, he's not suspended because he's not official, but fined for attacking the official. And, you know, I always find it funny. Flair does a, a handstand. He doesn't even grab, like, Funk's legs. He does, like, a handstand. No. So I just noticed that. It was, always, it was funny. There's Flair falling, and then Funk almost gives himself a fucking concussion. So. So this begins a feud that pretty much finishes off 1989 and goes into early 90. And obviously Gary Hart starts collecting some of the hotter pieces uh, leading to, um, you know, what would be the pretty much the main event feud of 1989 in, uh, in WCW. He is deranged. 
Oh, oh you think, Jim? <laughs> You think he's deranged now? Just wait until a couple of years later. I know, really. Wait until there's pay-per-views in ECW named after him. Or he's in exploding ring matches with Onita in Japan. I always found it funny that uh, that uh, NWA slash WCW pay per views had credits. I think I, I think I mentioned that last time when we did Chi Town Rumble. I think I said the same thing, but I still think it's funny that there's actual credits for for uh, NWA WCW pay per views. I just think that's funny. Well, I like that they appreciate the hardworking crew. At exactly, and, and we got to make sure that Jackie Crockett gets uh, gets props. They probably probably gets a. Probably gets a uh, royalty for having his name in the credits. It's probably getting royalties to this day from Peacock. Yes, that too. And there we go. So there is... uh, There is Wrestle War... 1989. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for listening and watching with us. And um, and if you're listening to this post, because uh, this show will be posted on the PTB Wrestling Network in audio form, uh, thank you for listening and fo- watching along with us. Uh, Greg, thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. Um, always a lot of fun to do a show with you and, and uh, show us the awesome uh, uh, figures collection. Um, where can everyone find you in the socials and uh, talk about your awesome show over on the pop feed? Yeah. Um, you can always follow uh, me. Well, I don't necessarily uh, tweet per se, but you can find me. I'm on, I'm at the show Twitter for my podcast at it was a thing on TV on Twitter. We're on all the socials, mm-hmm. Instagram at it was a thing on TV, Facebook. At it was a thing on TV podcast. So you can find us there. We're on every Wednesday on the Place to Be Nation pop experience. And right now we're in the middle of our uh, pilot month in uh, 2023. And actually coming up, because I'm sure this will be released later on the week. So coming Mm -hmm. up the following Wednesday, when you're listening to this, we actually have one of the pilots we're covering in uh, the next batch of shows that's going to be coming up is actually a pilot featuring a recent member of the WWE Hall of Fame, a pre-taxi Andy Kaufman. Oh, playing a robot. Yeah, he's playing a robot butler. That's right. That's right. That'll be a lot of fun. So, so check, uh, so check Greg and Chico and everybody up uh, on, it was a thing on TV over on the uh, pop feed. Uh, Obviously you can follow me on Twitter at Scott C Podfather and, but please follow the brand on Twitter at PTBN wrestling. We have a lot of great stuff over there. We do, uh, we're going to do a poll on what you would like us to watch, what you'd like Greg and I to watch in June. Um, we post the podcast. I do the wrestling time travel every day. Uh, we have a lot of fun. Please check out our network. We have a lot of great wrestling, a lot of fun. We do a lot of great old school stuff. And uh, this week, uh, if you're listening to this, depending what the week is, we've already 
dropped the pot of honor, which is the show that Steve Willie and I do about classic ring of honor and all the other great stuff on place to be.podbean.com. So for Greg Diener, I'm Scott Criscolo. We hope you enjoyed us. We uh, enjoyed it here on stream lounge and we will talk to you soon. Good night. <laughs>